0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit CAC.org.
1: Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley.
0: And I'm Kirsten Oates.
1: Welcome to Turning to the Mystics.
0: Welcome everyone to our dialogue on session five. Turning to the mystics, Jim. Good to be with you.
1: Yeah, it's good to be with you. Yeah.
0: So in session five, you did something a little different. You didn't do your normal lexio. In fact, there was no text uh, from John yeah. of the Cross in the episode. You did more of a, a meditative reflection. Could could you just t- talk us through why you, why you went in that direction?
1: Yes, yes. You know, uh, there's a previous session uh, the chapter. Uh, it was so uh, deeply poetic. We thought it would be better if you and I went through it together as a dialogue. Because the goal here is to make these teachings as accessible and understandable as possible. So with that in mind, with the dark night, I thought it would really be helpful to see how we've all experienced the dark night. Because the dark night is a uh, kind of a metaphor, a visual metaphor of the transformative deepening of love so i thought if we could see how the dark night as that metaphor works in our love for each other as between husband and wife and then by implication between parent and child or teacher and students or people committed to help others with healing or to living alone or to being old or being one with the earth any any modality of a love that calls us to a yet deeper love how is the dark night part of that transformative process? And suggesting, and this is what we looked at in marriage then as an example, suggesting that first the dark night is a kind of, uh, is actually a brightness that blinds our eyes and that we're living in a certain level of love. And then we're, we're graced with an awareness of a yet deeper love that's so deep we can't comprehend it. That is, it overwhelms us or touches us or reaches us, but we don't know what to make of it. So in that sense, it's a dark night by the very luminosity of our inability to grasp it from where we presently are. Then the dark night then takes on a a different meaning in which once we've got a glimpse of that brighter light and our eyes get adjusted to it, Then we see that our present level of love is a dark night and that it's a kind of a darkness because it's a deprivation of the deeper light of love that we've been graced to experience. And then we see we want to then move into that brighter love. We want to stabilize in it and we want to leave behind that lesser degree of love because now we've seen something that's richer. And then the dark night comes that we're attached to the lesser love we're attached to it because these are patterns of the mind and heart. Okay? And um, it has to do with issues of control, about not knowing how to leave them behind. And so we need to do love's work to courageously lean beyond our present comfort levels into the bright light. And then as a, as we stabilize in that, okay, then a new wave it starts all over again. Then there's another wave of love. See? And that goes on over and over and over. So it keeps refining us and refining us over time. So I was saying, this is, if we could see how this works in married love, then we could see how it works in parenting or with the artist or the poet or the teacher or the healer or the person in sobriety or the person who lives alone or the person, you know, any deepening of a love and the foundations of life itself. The dark night is a poetic metaphor that gives us a language for that. So because if, if we could see it in each other, then we will return back to John of the Cross to see in the same continuous way how does it go on between us and God mm. see, on the dark night within this infinite love. And so that was the logic for that session hoping to help the listeners see that.
0: Yeah, and it was very helpful. So I, I appreciate and this that explanation you just gave is a great summary and I do want to repeat some things back because I think um, you've just provided a, a a lot of clarity for us. So the dark night is about the deepening of love and how we might experience the deepening that's, of love.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: And then, uh, th- then I noticed last week, and you said it again. There's these two aspects. To the way love deepens, one is that uh, we we sense the deeper love, and it's so bright we we, we go into a dark night. We're blinded it, by it,
1: it. It blinds us. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Then on the second side of it, there's the dark night of uh, longing for that love so fleetingly glimpsed, to use your words. That's right. And and does that that dark night feel more like a longing, like a yes, it is. Of it? It is it,
1: Exactly, it's a longing to abide in the depths of fleetingly glimpsed as it grazes us. Then, having experienced it, see, having tasted it, then we long to abide in it. But the the night is we don't know how to abide. Mm -hmm. You know, we we need help from love. Yes, to follow love's promptings to do that. Yeah.
0: That's so helpful. It's just a great rubric, I think, to then apply to these different kinds of loves, which I'm hoping we can take some time to do a couple of different examples in, in this yeah. episode. Yeah. In the previous episode, you said, Whenever there is love, there is God. Yeah. And I wondered, I think um, with it's so hard to define love. So... Um, so this sense that you've spoken about of an interior knowing and then there's, there's the in-between, there's something in-between.
1: Yes. Let's it this, this way, you know, this idea that first in John and Scripture, you know, that God is love. Mm-hmm. So it says, and therefore wherever there's love, there's God. Mm-hmm. For the one who says he loves God and hates their brother, says just that person is a liar. See, So God is the infinite love that we experience and recognize in the love amongst ourselves, the God's the infinity of that love. And so what is love? We might say, uh, and just for John of the Cross is so beautiful in some of his poetic insights into this love. We might say that love is first, I want to apply it where the person sees the beloved, as they see another person and they see within the person the goodness of the person, a deep goodness. And the will is drawn to love, it it, is drawn to unite itself, or to be one with that goodness. So it's a seeing of a certain depth of goodness or beauty. Mm. And in seeing that, the love in us, it sees that, we see the person through the eyes of love. And then in seeing that, we're drawn and we want to be one with that goodness. See? So John the Cross says, love produces likeness. See? Mm. So I can't be one with the beloved unless I join the beloved in that goodness. See? So I, I need to, so the very love for the beloved draws forth in me to be faithful to the goodness in me. So the beloved and I can be one with each other in the goodness of love that we see in each other. and then in that uniting of that then we seek then to uh, be there for and with each other in love okay? and to uh and this is where it gets specifically in marital love and this is why john of the cross these mar- these nuptial mystics this is why they see marriage as the main metaphor for then they're moved to give themselves to each other you see? now the teacher gives himself to the student with the doctor to the to the patient, to the the person who works with the poor. We give, we give of ourselves because we see the goodness in them. But particularly in nuptial love, it's a kind of a it's a physical, emotional, complete donation of oneself to each other in love. And then they sense in faith that that their love for each other sacramentalizes or embodies God's love that led them to each other, and they experienced God's love and their love for each other. And so those would be some of the parameters of love or aspects of love. Yeah.
0: Jim, that's that's so helpful. And then what I'm hearing is, uh, whether it's married love or the love from the teacher or the doctor, that that it's this awakening to God's love within it that opens up on the infinite possibility of the love. Is
1: that? That's exactly right. That we see, then, that God's love is the love that gives us to each other. It's God's love we see in which the child emerges. But we express our love for God in and through our love for our child, in and through our love for the beloved, in and through our love for the students, by loving the beloved, by loving the students, or loving God present in the student, present in the world, and so on. And... um and likewise, that applies to art, that the artist or the poet or the one given to art or poetry. It's really moved by a love. You know, they they love poetry, they, and they give themselves to the poetic, and they want to abide in the poetic, and then they want to offer it as a love offering of what's given to them. The same with the artist visually. They see something like immensely lovable in the flower or, the, or whatever it is. And so they, they seek to surrender themselves over to kind of channel that beauty out onto the canvas, whatever. So that when we see it, they gift us with that. See, it's like they're offering. So we need to find our likewise living alone, you know, um, with all your heart or being one with the earth. So we find that which moves us to love and to give ourselves to it in love. And the more we give, the more we get back and then so the richness of the love is the self donating love of going forth to be one with that which we recognize, the goodness that draws us to the love. And mm-hmm. so it becomes a love path, like modalities of love.
0: Yes. Yeah. And John of the Cross, he is concerned about helping us find our way to the ground of love, which is God, so that we might be in. Um, Alignment uh, or fidelity to the the love yeah. that we're built for.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think John Crosser put it this way. Realizing he's writing specifically culturally to the to the uh, cloistered nuns. Yes. And friars, so there's a kind of a question of vocation, but it applies universally to everybody. He's assuming what we're saying here, as he's assuming that we're. We realize God wants us to be an awake, present, engaged, caring, loving person because God is love and to love God and so on. But what he's concerned about then, where the dark night comes in, is that um, when we we take this to prayer, not that we find God's love in the beloved, in the child, but we find God's love in God, in prayer, and we find... God's love communicated to us first in our beliefs, through our faith, and through our consolations, and through our insights, and through our aspirations. So when we sit in prayer, um, this is how we grow in love. See? Um, and then we carry that love of God's love for us and our love for God, and we carry it out into our spouse, the child, the neighbor, whatever. Mm-hmm. John of the Cross is talking about the dark night where we start getting blinded by a light in which see we'll put it another way is that is that this is the way it goes with us on this earth the way we're talking now but when we pass through the veil of death we're going to pass beyond god's presence mediated or sacramentally embodied in our thoughts, in our aspirations, in each other. And we're gonna cross over under unmediated, infinite union with infinite love in glory. Mm -hmm. So he starts saying, he's talking about what happens when God decides not to wait until you're dead, to start communicating to you unmediated uh, love of God. And that blinds our finite eyes, mm-hmm. because it utterly overwhelms the finite ways of experiencing God's presence. And it's the beginning of an infinite way of experiencing the infinite presence. So he's offering guidance in that. See, that's, yeah. his, that's uh, uh, his concern. Mm-hmm. But he sees it, this reflection that I shared on married love, it helps a lot if we can see at first how that same transformative metaphor of the dark night is fully present in each other. Yes. Because it's a continuum. It's an unbroken, like enrichment yes. of that which is fully incarnate in each other, is then crosses over, uh, like dying of, really dying of love, really. It's like surrendering yourself over to love that there's nothing left of you but love. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's offering guidance in. Those who in prayer feel themselves, that that's starting to happen to them.
0: Yes, yes. This brings us to the a uh, beautiful picture you gave us around the ocean and being ankle ankle deep in the ocean. Um, but the ocean is still the, even at ankle deep, it's still the, the infinite depths of love is giving itself away at every level of the ocean. Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah.
1: Yeah, so let's say, using that as the m- metaphor, mm-hmm. Let's say at the level of ego consciousness, of the day-by-day ego consciousness, of these mediations. Yes. We're at the ocean, we're kind of amazed by it. We're ankle deep. And it's true, we're only ankle deep. But if we head out to deeper water, we get plenty deep soon enough. Where that deepening is a quantifiable, measurable deepening. One feet, two feet, ten feet, ten feet, thousand feet, ten thousand feet, and so on. And that's life in the ego consciousness mm-hmm. that can be measured and it's real. Yeah. But what if poetically what we're saying that ultimately speaking, what if the ocean in its hidden center, and here the ocean becomes a metaphor for God? Yeah. See, or infinite love. What if in its hidden centre it's infinitely deep, like it's an abyss, it's a bottomless abyss of love? And what if the bottomless abyss of love is giving itself away whole and complete in each incremental degree of entrance into it. So even when you're just ankle deep, you're already in water way over your head. See? Because you're already, in God we live and move and have our being. Mm-hmm. Spiritual consciousness is the awakening of that. Yes. See, it's, it's, a way, it's yes. that uh, love moment. Or when we were in the Merton sessions, like turning to see a flock of birds descending, mm-hmm. or seeing children in a moment, they're really children. It flashes forth. Yes, Something boundaryless and vast, that's intimate and unexplainable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, that, it's like that. Yeah.
0: What's so challenging in listening to these talks is uh, that beautiful m- metaphor of the ocean and how we can switch out of the measuring, problem-solving mind and into the poetic sense of an infinite presence flowing through the ocean. And you can have that brief that my heart warms or upticks a little bit as I think about that. But then I, the so why can't I just realize that now? That makes sense. I feel it. And yeah. uh, why can't I just, why can't I be fully realized in my, in yes. my experience? Yeah.
1: It, exactly. <laughs> but let's say when we hear it, when we hear this la- this evocative language, it sounds beautiful. And we know it's beautiful because it's true. Yes. It, and so we're momentarily kind of taken by the truth of it, okay? But then four seconds later, it drifts away because <laughs> we're back to, you know, <laughs> cell phone went off. So the question is, uh, and for some people, that's what it's like,
0: yeah. you know?
1: But what starts to happen with some people, and this is the spiritual path, the person says, I wonder what I could do about that, mm-hmm. see? That especially if this fleeting moment is not a moment in which I intuit something more was given to me, but I fleetingly glimpsed the bliss, abyss-like nature of the love that every moment really is. See? How, what is the path along which I could stabilize in an habitual underlying state of interior quiet amazement and gratitude, which mm-hmm. is the path,
0: mm-hmm. see?
1: Like, how do I do that?
0: And this, this sense that uh, it's it's really our kind of it, th- that that depth is always present that we catch yeah. the momentary glimpse of, but you use this line of how we skim over the depths of our own lives. So it's just yeah. our natural tendency is to, yeah. and the way I think our society operates too pushes us into busyness and deadlines, and we're, we're a society that doesn't make room for the depth of our own experience
1: either. I think that's true. I mean, I think what the tradition teaches is that, in one sense, that's our natural tendency, but that natural tendency is really the unnatural tendency. Mm. Because the natural tendency is the God-given desire to abide in the depths, it's destiny. So the whole mystery in a Christian, this image of original sin, not as a blight on the soul, but there's the traumatized capacity to abide, like we're exiled from it. Yes. The, the Buddha called it ignorance. Jesus called it blindness. You have eyes to see, but you don't see. So we can kind of sense we're caught up in it, but there's something contrived about it. I mean, there's something I like, I, I'd feel more interiorly grounded if I could stabilize in the deeper place my soul longs to go, mm-hmm. see? And, but it's elusive so how do i that's what these podcasts are about this what the teachings yes. are about is what what is this kind of very childlike humble patient attitudinal sincerity in which we have the daily rendezvous with god in this process and carry it through the day so little by little by little it becomes more and more stabilized for us mm. um, yeah
0: beautiful you talked about the nuptial love being taught across different traditions, not just in the Christian mystical tradition, but, but across other traditions as well. It,
1: yes. Uh, let's say in these, um, in these mystical, say in every world religion, each world religion has its own um, mystical lineage to it. So in Judaism and Torah and the prophets, you have Kabbalah, Kabbalistic mysticism of Judaism. And in Islam, you have the Sufi tradition. And in Hinduism, you have Patanjali, the Yoga Sutras, of the Yogi Namaste, this deep of realization. And in Buddhism, you have seeking to realize what the Buddha realized on the night of his enlightenment the utter purity of the Dharma field, free of craving, free of delusion, free of reification, turning things into thoughts, as kind of the divinity of the phenomenal world. So in those traditions, some of the traditions that are most lined up with this love mysticism would be the Sufi tradition, Rumi, which is a love mysticism, and also Bhakti Yoga, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the, the beloved. Uh, and so you have this love mysticism in Hinduism and love mysticism in Sufi. Then in Christianity later in these series, when we talk about Meister Eckhart, he sees it as mind. See, have a virginal mind. And I think the parallel there is in Buddhism, mm-hmm. on emptiness and mind. You, you see love in Eckhart and in Buddhism. In Buddhism, it's in the Bodhisattva, Mm -hmm. you know, and and compassion is the body of emptiness. So both are always present. But Thomas Merton was very good at seeing these affinities between his own mystical lineage as a mystical Catholic. And he invited these dialogues, you know, with Abraham Heschel and uh, with the Muslims and and so on, because he he wanted those in their own tradition that transcend their tradition through mystical union, to recognize each other. And we have much to learn from each other. Yes. About this abyss-like love at every moment and every breath and everything is really, you know. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment.
0: I find that really exciting to hear the way we can be... Uh, in an experience of kind of solidarity around some of these truths with, with other traditions and learn from each other. I think, I think that's, a, that's a, a great thing for, it, it, for us all to re- hold in it, our it, hearts.
1: Me too. And when we're talking in the Merton section, we were talking about that, where you said the world will not survive uh, religious people based on tribal consciousness. Because mm. Th- they'll use it in the name of um, attacking and brutalizing each other. We see that. He said, but if those in each tradition move towards what's deepest in their tradition, which is this infinite union, they converge at the center and recognize each other. Mm-hmm. So if they would speak with one voice, it would be a powerful unit of message to the world. And, and CAC, um, the Living School and so on, is very much in concert with that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah. Yes. Even though these mystics use nuptial love as the metaphor, it still is just a metaphor. So those people who may never get married or may never, who choose a life of um, celibacy or singleness, this yeah. this teaching is still for them because it's just the poetic
1: yeah. vision. Yeah. John, of the, Cross, John of the Cross wasn't married. Yeah. Teresa of Avila wasn't married. All these classical mystics we speak of, none of them were married, interestingly enough. We need more married mystic. You know, we need more. There's historical reasons for that, by the way. Why there isn't that formal recognition of the married mystic. Um, so it, it no, it, it's really, we take that metaphor and, uh, in the Old Testament, the song of songs. See, this love, I will kiss uh, this, the beloved. I went out seeking you and you were gone and so on. Is, um, is, it, is really for all of us. See, because how can I find this love? present in the life that I'm living. So let's say if I live alone, not just reluctantly because I have no choice, but what is solitude as a path? But time is never less alone than when alone because God alone is God and I alone am who I am. So there's an interior intimacy to solitude and I can love solitude and live by solitude like the hidden life of God as a path that touches the whole world in ways I don't understand. And um, so so likewise for the artist or the poet or someone who teaches little children in a classroom, you you spend yourself, you know, you just give yourself to them in love and it circles back around and touches you. And you're touched by how wonderful they are, how beautiful they are, how grateful you are to be with them every day. And so that's what we need to find. We need to find where providentially in the midst of where we're living, where whatever the circumstance is, that is the circumstance in which we're to find this quote nuptial love.
0: Yes, See, this yeah. each
1: unto each, this self-donating love, of this love giving itself to us.
0: And you say that John of the Cross, if they were, if he was meeting with us individually as our spiritual director, he, he wouldn't start with his nuptial love, and what he would start with.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> might want to take notes. Can I record this, John of the Cross? Yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, maybe he'd start with your own life and, no. and where this might be arising in you. And then you, you offered something else that in that session, in the even in the discussion between the two people about that person's life between John of the Cross and the directee that the love may arise exactly Even in that encounter
1: yeah see I, I think this is so important to me too in, in psychotherapy like the depth dimension of therapy or in spiritual direction this is it. A person doesn't come to spiritual direction and get a lecture you know on definitions of god you know and the director doesn't start right in with a lecture the director starts by listening and then the director joins the person you know on on where they are, and they engage, and the person feels met where they are in the desire for God. Mm -hmm. And then that relationship between the two of them can become a sacramental moment in which the love arises for both of them, Mm -hmm. you know, in the encounter. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of spiritual friendship and how we might be able to uh, invite this kind of depth in the way we listen to and talk to, to others.
1: It's really true. And even these podcasts are this way. I mean, it's so mysterious in a way, like Monastery and Cyberspace thing that you and I will probably never see people, the vast majority of people might be listening to this. And some might be listening to it after you and I are both dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're woven into them and they're woven into us. Mm. And there's a kind of a non-spatial recognition of something, not limited by space or time. And the love that arises in this love space—you know, the eternality of it all—it's it's very mysterious. But, but the path is being sensitive to things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And you passing on John of the Cross it is not is means he's not limited to time and space too. The way you're it's, passing on his teaching.
1: Yes, I, I was. I sure I. Think, I don't know if I did. As I would sit with Thomas Merton in direction at the monastery. And I saw he really was a living mystic. I saw that he embodied the lineage. And I would take John of the Cross, walk out in the woods, sit at the base of a tree and read John of the Cross out loud to myself. And it was the same voice, you know, back to the six, like a timeless voice through the ages like that. And then there's also the tradition that when the teacher dies, the teacher still helps you, mm. that his, he's present in the beauty of his words, it's not just, it wasn't just words for him when he wrote it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just words for him now. And so, there's a kind of interconnectedness um, that, that crosses the boundary between birth and death and time, and and um, we're woven into that.
0: Yeah, uh, worth a pause, little breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful concept. Well, I wanted to use an example from my life to see how this might translate. You, I appreciated you sharing your vows with Maureen, that was beautiful. Mm. And uh, so I wanted to offer something too. And uh, so, Jim, you may stand in as my spiritual director for this.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <sighs> Take a sip of tea. <laughs> I'm ready. Well what came to mind to me when I was listening to that episode and was as people are aware I was not able to have children naturally and in the end my husband and I uh, decided not to pursue any other avenues for having children but then many years later my Sister-in-law died unexpectedly and, and tragically and left her son completely alone, no father on, on the scene. And um, yeah, so I felt a call in my heart and it did feel like that, a deep, deep, deep call in my heart to adopt him into my heart like my own son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was in terms of what you describe as a dark night, like uh, there was something about um, the the loss of a mother's love and actually before she died, the night before she died, he said to me his greatest fear his whole life had been the fear of losing his mother and he didn't know what he was going to do. And it was kind of in that moment that my heart started to break open and and want to be there for him. And I said, I, I don't know what you're going to do either, but I know you won't be alone. I'll be there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so would that be a, like a kind of dark night? Like it was a new kind of love yeah. for me. And uh, I will say too, I I haven't had a baby, so I haven't been through that kind of physical pain. But there was a lot of like physical aching and pain around um the grief and sadness he was facing. Like, I felt that in my body, um, the sense of the loss of the mother's love.
1: And, yes. uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll share a few thoughts coming mm-hmm. to me. Like, we'll try to we'll practice here. Like, uh, how would that apply here, Dr. Yes. Knight? Uh, let's say, first of all, that the maternal instinct or the, you know, every, is in every woman, is part of a woman's nature. And the paternal instinct is in every man. It's part of animon animus, the masculine. It's a dimension of the feminine as a maternal instinct. But not not every woman is very aware of that in a very strong or significant way. Likewise, uh, there are some women who have given birth to a child or more than one child, and they're not at all motherly to those children. The the, the mother love energy is not for different reasons. So one way to look at this then, is the dark night begins by God instilling in you the desire to be mother.
0: Mm.
1: And it comes as the awakening of your innate nature given to you by God as a woman, like the awakening of the mother energy. But then the desire to be a mother One is a dark night in that motherhood is incomprehensible.
0: Mm. That is, it's
1: a mystery. No one can adequately explain the mystery of being mother or father. But then the dark night was a ray of darkness and that you decided to be a mother and couldn't be a mother.
0: Mm.
1: So then you say to God, well, gee, this isn't fair.
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: you know what I mean I mean seriously yeah, because this oh, yeah. goes, this is a lot of tears here this is there was, this yeah. goes deep 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 mm-hmm. deep because it isn't a, a temporary thing this is for the rest of your life mm-hmm. this is this is for keeps see and so what are you going to do then with this uh desire that can't be consummated physically the way it would normally be consummated for, by having a child uh, And so then you say that that unconsummated desire, speaking about this poetically now, was preparing you for an unexpected motherhood Mm. when his mother died. Not only did his mother die, but of all the people to say, I don't know what I'm gonna do without my mother. And he said that to a woman who so deeply wanted to be a mother that that's god right there and then you were moved and you didn't have to think about it Uh, i want you to know i'll always be here for you Mm -hmm. and in that moment there's a kind of a spiritual motherhood that's the essence of the motherhood god is the infinite mother who mothers forth these maternal energies so i think sometimes um This this unexpected depth of love comes out of expected ways. For example, the mother gets unexpected intimations of being smitten by her child in the presence of her child. Mm -hmm. Or the husband and the wife get unexpected depth deepening of their love for each other. But sometimes we're given a desire for something and we can't consummate the desire for the deeper thing in the way that we're in. And in that dark night of being powerless, an unexpected way that God has in mind mm. comes rolling over us, see? And uh, we're kind of surprised by it, you know what I mean? Like we couldn't have planned yes. it if we tried. It's such a, a mysterious bonding, you know, like very deep, 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 deep thing. Yes. And then, then it happens again that you sit with it. You know it's true. You can feel it. But it's also a dark night in that it's even more unexplainable than ever. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So, but that the unexplainable depth of that maternal fulfillment, God's the infinity of that depth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: See? And in some sense then, it's an intimation of eternity. See? It's an intimation of an eternity. Because in a way, we might say that uh, God the Divine Father Is the infinite origin of the mystery of the desire to be a father. That's the innate desire of every father, man. And God, the divine mother, see, is the infinite origin of the desire to be a mother. So God mothers us, see. God is mothering us. Mm -hmm. And we're mothered by God into this love Mm. through this mother energy, like this. And, um, So yeah, and by the way, this is an insight into at least what celibacy is meant to be as a mystical depth. Because by this sublimated love energy, so let's say Teresa of Avila is over the centuries has mothered many, 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 many people were among a number Mm. into the love of God. And John of the Cross was never married and had no children. But he has fathered many, 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 many people Mm. into God's love and so I would ask those would be some of the ways yeah. that I think would be worth looking at you know yeah and, and by I, the way another I, piece of it is it never takes away some place in yourself that you wished if it were possible you would have been a mother mm. and that little piece is precious because that's the poignancy of the mystery mm. like but we're sometimes given a gift on God's terms and not on our terms and uh, it's part of the path, you know, yeah.
0: Thank you, Jim. The other part of the um, teaching you offered that made me think of this relationship with Will is um, where you talked about the the purer the love, the more important not to be passively in collusion with the compromises. And I think when Will came into my life, I became very aware of, uh, and and had a strong desire not to do anything that might um, yeah. be be uh, you know out of my negative habits or you know that might have a negative impact on him. That's And, right. I, and I became very kind of vigilant about looking for that.
1: Sorry, sorry. Charlie Cross says that too. Is that the more love deepens between two people? Or group, say between two people. The more the the love, um, uh, it saddens them to think that they would do anything to cause sadness to the beloved. Mm. That love prompts them to be faithful to what love is asking, and so it keeps refining our intentions like this. Mm-hmm. And then we see that we're not always able to live up to that intention. Yes and god has mercy on us in it and inspires us anew to keep living up to it. Yes. And, and so that's a, that's an important piece of it. Really and not are they to be like indifferent.
0: D- dark night moments because it yeah. seems to have that same rubric within them when you when you do something that negatively impacts the beloved and it's a yeah. moment where you really long for the love to be pure and and to to yeah. never harm the, anyone.
1: Yes. Uh, let's put it this way: Anyone who's been married for a while, you know very well each other's infidelities to all that love could be, resentment, withholding uh, intimacy, uh, wanting to control, mm-hmm. being insensitive to the hurting places. Being everyone knows that. See, and. They, they feel the sadness of it, and they feel the call to renewed vulnerability, to keep calling each other out in a loving, respectful way is mm-hmm. love's work. And so knowing that we're loved by the beloved in the midst of our infidelities to all we know the beloved deserves <laughs> is part of the poignancy of love. I mean, that, that we're lo- which yeah. is an echo of how God loves us. I think. That's why I say to people, we're all unfaithfully faithful and faithfully unfaithful. See, look how faithfully unfaithful we are. There must be something to it. You know <laughs> I mean? we're, and we're not done yet either. Mm-hmm. We're not, I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not going to live up to mm-hmm. God. Wants you to. And yet, even though we're so faithfully unfaithful, we're so unfaithfully faithful. Yeah. And that's the mystery of love, I think. I think that's mm-hmm. the tenderness of it.
0: It's, it feels to, to me, too, like the same mystery of the way the Dark Knight's described. You know, it's that. It is, yeah. It's that um, yeah. knowing and longing but not quite being yeah. able to maintain yeah. the, the yeah. depth. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's deepening, I, I, deepening, deepening.
1: Yeah. See, because if I could live up to love, that'd be one thing. But if I, although I want to live up to love and I fall short in living up to love, in one sense, it's a dark night to me because it saddens me, but then I see to God it makes no difference. I see that God is infinitely in love with me anyway, in my inability, which is salvation, which is experiential salvation. Yeah. See, and that's, that's part of the mystery of love, really. I think is that.
0: Yes, and that just reminds me of uh, in those moments how important it is to bring that to God's presence and to find. That love and compassion for ourselves when we make yeah, exactly. the mistake, or so yeah. that we can come back grounded in love and compassion to make the apology or to try something different.
1: That's exactly right. Marine used to always say, you know, in AA they talk about practicing rigorous honesty, mm-hmm. and uh, that that is really rigorous honesty. You just bring yourself forward, you know, whatever the way I talked yesterday, I should have, you know, you just you, it's like the just the willingness. Mm-hmm. to and and then that makes you a person who's easier and easier to be with because you're more and more real. Yeah. You know, you're more and more it's very it's, it's a very paradoxically freeing thing. Yes. Um, uh,
0: I do remember uh when <laughs> the 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 situation with Will where I was trying to f- kind of uh fully adopt him into into my life and make those transitions um how i did turn to god to like to be fueled by a love and a patience and um an, an energy that that was beyond beyond what i had previously known because love was demanding that of me yeah. and uh it, it, do you feel like prayer can operate that way as a way to if if we call on god to really help fuel and Expand the love we're longing to come into the no, world. No, I
1: know. I really do. So, for example, let's say in prayer, say we're reading the Gospels. And let's say in reading the Gospels, uh, you know, Jesus saying, you No, know, fear not. And fear not because uh, with you it's impossible, with, but with God all things are possible. See, you're, I'm infinitely, you can't do anything to stop me being infinitely in love with you. It's set. See? So now we got that settled. At least for me, God <laughs> says it's settled. I know you're still trying to take that in. Is that? And then, then we realize, we, we know it, we sense the truth of it. But it's almost, we can bear being conditionally loved. But to be unconditionally loved, because there's no control in unconditional love. So the more I realize that's how God loves me, Mm. It inspires and moves me within my limitations to pass it on, see? to share that with, with people and because God shares it with me.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I hope this dialogue's been helpful to people and I, I do wonder uh, if there's listeners out there that uh, have experienced their own way of going through the dark night as a teacher or as a poet or as a mm-hmm. baker. or as a, It would be lovely to hear some of those those mm-hmm. stories
1: wow.
0: and uh, to, to make it feel real for everyone. Yeah. Jim, okay. in the next episode, you're going to go back to the format of the Lectio and you're going to kind of reflect on how this nuptial love, the metaphor of nuptial love, relates to the unitive love between God yeah. and us. Is that...
1: Yeah, what we want to do is we're going to take a break here, like a little spacer. And then um, in that break, in a way, we're kind of continuing what you and I have been doing. Mm-hmm. Only now I'm saying, now that we're hopefully experientially clearer about the dark night as this transformative mystery, then I'd like to return in a briefer time, returning back to John of the Cross in his book, The Dark Night, mm-hmm. on how this the same continuum of the dark night goes on between ourselves and God.
0: Mm -hmm, Lovely. And
1: uh, so we'll do that to kind of round out again, returning back into St. John of the Cross. And that in turn will then leave us to um, talk about this uh, the light that shines out of the darkness, uh, being married to God, a mystical marriage. And it'll free us up then to conclude with that. So, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for today, Jim. This has been a gift and uh sending love to maureen and to will who who have joined us um in the midst of today i felt both their presence in in our discussion so thank you
1: that's great
0: thank you for listening to this episode of turning to the mystics a podcast created by the center for action and contemplation We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.